So uh, just to just to let you know, I started at the University of Warwick uh, in December um, as assistant professor, um, having almost finished my PhD at the Institute of Education. Um, I actually have my vivas next week, so oh. let, let's see how that goes. Um, and um, it, it is a slightly strange position to kind of stand up as, as a sort of embodiment of um, two elite higher education systems. It's not a particularly British thing to do. As, uh, it feels, uh, you know, often I might dissimulate where I did my BA, actually, um, rather than kind of talk to a room full of people about having done it. Um, uh, but putting that aside, um, I want to sort of make some specific points around Sally's um, paper, but I also want to try and bring the two papers together um, by thinking about um, sort of access to elite higher education. So I want to try and bring out some of the links, at least in my um, experience and knowledge of the systems, um, about trying to access elite higher education from a sort of non-elite background. Um, and I should say, so um, I studied uh, a BA in English Literature and French at the University of Oxford, uh, Wadham College, from 2003 four to 2008. Um, and within that, um, I had a compulsory year in France, um, which I spent at the École Normale Supérieure, which is a grande école uh, in Paris. Um, and it was on an exchange scheme um, between Oxford and the ENS, um, called uh, Pensionnaire Etrangère, um, where I had a right to uh, free uh, accommodation in um, in central Paris, in the Quartier Latin, uh, and I could go to any classes that I wanted to go to without having to take any exams. Um, so it was uh, a sort of um, f amazing, wonderful, free year um, that um, uh, some people took advantage of, others didn't. Um, I took advantage of it um, both. Um, academically and, and socially and um, I think I've sort of uh, gained quite a lot of knowledge of um, not just how the system was working but the backgrounds of a lot of people who were participating in that elite system. Um, so one thing I just wanted to sort of draw out initially is around um, students' uh, geographical trajectories and nationalities um, in the two different elite systems. Um, so um, the the Ecole Normale Supérieure, um, as we sort of already discussed, takes in a certain number of students every every year on this competitive exam, and that's the only way into the ENS. And you have to have French nationality in order to take that exam, or have lived in France for a certain number of years. Um, so it's a national, uh, quite a nationalist exam, if you like. Um, and they have a Sélection Internationale for people who don't fit into that category and want to come in from, from outside, and it's a slightly easier set of exams, and it doesn't um, assume that you have gone through the preparatory classes that lead up to those exams. Um, so um, there is a sort of route in, but really mainly um, that the system is, is designed around this sort of national, national service, uh, where you attend ENS, um, and after that, and you get paid for it, and you get a very cheap room in central Paris, and after that, you actually have to give a certain number of service, years of service to the French state. Um, so it's, it's not just sort of an allegiance based on what you're paid um, at the time, it's an, an expectation that you spend around 10 years working for the French state afterwards, um, which um, leads to quite a different sort of... Um, state of affairs than if you are obviously paying um, tuition fees to attend the elite system in the UK um, 
and there of course there is no actual limit on um on your kind of geographical or national um identity um except of course the prohibitive international fees um but where touch wood it will stay the same uh, where we're talking about eu students and uk students um there's a sense where um that there is a kind of welcome to international um, students, certainly in terms of parity of, of fees um, and access to some scholarships. Um, but on that, the, there is, I suppose, that openness to to international students in the UK in an uncapped way. Um, that um, that the ENS um, as a kind of institution um, doesn't actually permit. Um, so that was sort of one point. There was also the point that um, actually uh, many of the students that I encountered who had got into the Ecole Normale Supérieure through um, the sort of traditional exam route um, did have a mixed heritage of various kinds. Um, so um, a lot of people had sort of um, their parents might they might have been first generation, they may have been second generation, um, but there was a whole kind of complex set of international trajectories that were represented within that so-called sort of French category. So it's not as simple as a nationalist versus a kind of international selection. Um, I wanted to sort of highlight um, the the difference differences within elite sectors. Um, so um, I have less knowledge of the, the different fond d'école, um, although what I do know is that there are some that pay and there are some where you have to pay some quite hefty fees to go to them. Um, and I know that there are some that are considered um, sort of the ones to go to for certain subjects. So the Ecole Normale Supérieure, where I was, um, is very much if you want to be a kind of literature um, academic or you want to um, be in uh, philosophy, the arts in general, that was sort of the place to go. Um, it's also quite well known for maths. Um, on the other hand, uh, within Oxford and Cambridge, as many of you uh, I'm sure know, it's split into colleges. Um, colleges being where you um, receive some of your tuition, uh, where you live and where your pastoral support is located. Uh, and then there's still sort of the subject-based faculties where you get the rest of your teaching. And the difference between uh, different colleges within Oxbridge is quite huge, actually. Uh, there are sort of those that are known as more like access colleges, which is quite amusing thinking of the UK in general. Uh, but there are the colleges which are known more as state school um, uh, kind of applicant destinations. Um, and there are those that are really known as mainly welcoming kind of um, elite graduates so-called of elite private schools um, and the kind of um, experience and the social capital that you have access to going to different colleges is quite astounding actually um, even within that quite small system um, so so Wadham the college that I went to is um, is a pretty well known kind of intellectual college but it's it's known as a socialist college um, and um, it does have quite a few state applicants, but it also has a lot of applicants um, from the sort of political left who go to it. Um, uh, as a student at that college, I had very little um, access or um, sort of exposure to glimpses of what I saw of the secret societies, the drinking clubs, um, and just the incredible kind of um, wealth and opulence of, of the existence that some students definitely lead at Oxford and the kind of thing that gets into the news or gets portrayed in films. Um, but there is definitely quite a kind of uh, disparity actually between elite experiences. Um, 
I was I was thinking about what it's like to research um, elite um, students, and I think um, Sally, you drew on this a bit, thinking about how students evoke acceptable discourses in their interviews. Um, but I thought of another layer to that, um, which is that um, elite students are, um, and I'm talking particularly about Oxbridge and also the ENS, um, the passage of entry to those institutions involves um, some kind of oral test. So you have to be able to give an interview or an oral exam uh, in which you uh, justify who you are even though you're not sure of it and actually at quite a young age. Um, and I think the Oxford interview, for many the Oxbridge interview is a formative moment. Um, so I wonder what it's what it does to interview people who are rather used to um, packaging their life histories and ambitions um, in quite a, a neat and acceptable um, and ambitious sounding and possibly humanitarian sounding way. Um, so I would sort of put that as a challenge of how can we, how can we interview people who are rather too used to being interviewed. Um, I, uh, I also wanted to draw out the difference between um, Oxford, well, let's say UK elite education and French elite education in that um, in, in the UK we have a much more developed alumni relations and development sector than in France. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to keep hold of people uh, who left the colleges uh, and, and trying to trace them through to their multi-millionaire careers so they'll give lots of nice money and build new buildings and things. And in France that system doesn't really exist. What does exist is the annuaire, um, which is uh, each grande uh, école um, has a kind of yearbook um, that they release at the end of an academic year of people who have attended the school, which has their email addresses and what they studied. And, um, and employers um, actually can pay quite a lot of money to get their hands on these annuaires. Uh, especially the annuaire of the Ecole Polytechnique, um, which is a particularly kind of elite um, school, uh, Grande Ecole. And uh, this, this annuaire is sort of uh, something that employers are trying to get hold of to work out who to, who to approach for graduate jobs. So it's quite a different relationship with alumni between those two systems. Um, so to move on a bit to thinking more about the sort of elitism, the differences between accesses, accessing elite education. Um, I think the sort of key moments, or we might call them ordeals, between the British and the French system are, are quite different, and we've sort of already brought out some of those. So um, the actual real ordeal um, to get into French elite education is the classe préparatoire, the prépa, um, which are actually not done at at universities, you know, they're done actually at certain sixth forms that offer these, or lycée, that offer these classes. Um, and um, if you get through the prepa, and it's kind of an intense um, information absorbing qualification, um, if you get through them and you get into a d'école via all the sort of oral exams and the written exams, you then actually already almost have a degree through having done those classes. So you don't have the same emphasis on the BA, which was already mentioned. 
but you, it's this system of equivalence, equivalence, where you pretty much already have a BA upon entering the system, and you pretty much go straight into doing a master's. Um, so it sort of elides that, that ordeal. Um, and we already mentioned the aggregation as being another kind of French information-intense qualification ordeal, um, which qualifies, as Laurent said, people to to um, teach in universities, but also to teach the class préparatoire. Um, and um, the that that sort of means that a lot of people fall off before getting as far as the uh, Grand École, uh, because they, they don't get as far as the doors, because they can't get through the class préparatoire. Um, on the other hand, with the UK uh, and the Oxbridge kind of ordeal, the ordeal is at the interview stage, so before between A-levels and starting at, at university, you have a short, sharp ordeal um, consisting of an interview, maybe a few exams. Um, and then you're in, but actually the real ordeal comes in the final exams and still is the fact that Ox at Oxbridge, most assessment happens in the last six weeks of however long your degree is. So I did a four-year degree. Anything that counted towards my, my degree happened in the last six weeks of, of my degree. Um, and that's how the Oxford system works. So that the ordeal is actually to get out of the degree um, and sort of into the beyond. And I think that's why the, the BA counts for so much if you've got it from Oxford. Um, I want to sort of uh, stress um, the difference between... Sure, thank you. I want to stress the difference between what I see as a kind of focus on the brain or braininess in France versus a, perhaps a more dual focus on the brainy elitism in the UK. Um, and in, in France, there's a sense that if you are really clever, you, could, you actually know your national ranking. If you've passed the aggregation, you've passed the prépa, you know your ranking. Um, in a way that we don't know that in England, we know whether you've got into Oxford or not. Um, and that there is a sense that you can get access to this elite higher education if you've managed to go through the prepa and you've managed to um, get as far as those um, those sort of prepa exams. Um, there's there is a sense that you know it's probably not because you've been to private school because the private school system is quite small. Um, but I would say that one thing we haven't covered is the the focus on Paris, um, which isn't the same in the UK. That Actually, the, the, the Grand École, which are considered the most important, are all in Paris. And Oxford and Cambridge are obviously not in London. There's a decentralisation of it. If you live in Paris, you're under a huge advantage towards getting towards these systems. If you don't, in general, you have to leave home at 16, lodge somewhere else during your back and during your prepa, uh, and, um, and then probably move to Paris again. Um, so there is a much sort of earlier independence that comes with that and one that obviously really advantages you if you live in central Paris somewhere. Um, the, the final sort of point I wanted to make is around um, teachers that come out of that um, elite system and who go into then reproducing the prepa system. Um, as, as we've said, they don't really the aggregation is not a qualification that gives you teacher training, it's an information gathering exercise. There's a bit of minor teacher training that you get, but you're basically coming through an elite system and going and reproducing it um, in various parts of the country. 
and um, and teachers who go to teach on the prepa are relocated uh, by the state. They, they get to give some preference as to where they want to live, but in general they are told where they're going to go, which is something that I just can't imagine working in the UK. I can't imagine people coming out of Oxbridge and being told exactly where they have to live in the UK. Um, means that people don't often don't want to live and teach the prepa um, exactly where they're put, um, which has a kind of implication on how people, the pedagogy of the prepa and how people are engaging with their teaching. Um, but it also has a kind of um, an, an implication on uh, the, the distribution of the quality of teaching of that prepa, of that prepa um, throughout France. And um, it's very rare to get into the ENS from a prepa that is not situated in Paris at Henri IV or Louis Le Grand, for example. Um, and actually, if you get into ENS Paris uh, from another centre in France, quite often they make you add another year um, onto your onto your syllabus, um, as if other prepa classes don't qualify you um, to 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 the same standard as the Paris ones. So I think we have a kind of um, geographical elite centre in in France, um, in in the way that maybe we don't so much in in England. Um, I think those were my main points. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you.